welcome or welcome back to the Handmaid's <laughs> Takes. And uh, it's a proud member of the Smug Buds family of podcasts. And I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined as always by Liz. Hello, Liz. Hey, Will. How are you, friend? I'm doing A-OK. And yourself? I'm so tired. As I was just telling you, I'm so tired. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, not not in like a, I didn't sleep well. Also, like my vo- I'm so sorry if my voice is weird. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I think I just kind of burned myself out. In the past 70, well, I'm more than that now, but between Thursday and Friday, I, I didn't even tell you this. I went into my office and cleaned up my cube, mm-hmm. and it was the first time I had been there in two years, seven months, and two weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that was, like, really emotionally taxing. Mm. And then I went to go see the early November, which was emotional in a different way, just because that band's been around since I was 14, so it's mm-hmm. been 20 years. And I yeah. went with a friend that I've known for 20 years, which... It's so funny because I've known you for, what, 15 years now? Yeah, something like that. And I've been friends with this person for even longer than that, like by five years, Mm -hmm. Um, my friend Rachel. Um, And then Friday I got, you know, I got home at 1 a.m. And then Friday I met Merrick Garland, the attorney general, normal day. With Elliot, I was dressed as a Luna Moth, normal day. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then yesterday- his name is it Merrick Garland, never forget. <laughs> and then yesterday I, I was part of the winning cos- dog costume contest for the group category uh, in DC and then went to a party and now I'm just like, what have I done to myself? Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, speaking of dogs, you'll hear mine clicking, clacking, tip-tapping in the background. Oh, little sweetie. Uh, that's okay. Nothing to be done about that. So... um. Yeah, you've been busy, so naturally you'd be tired, and if you sound a little frazzled, that's fine, but audio quality-wise, <laughs> in theory, you should be sounding better than ever. You're speaking yes. into a brand new microphone. Yes. Tell us all about it. I <laughs> Give us the specs. <laughs> it's like a foot tall. Yep. It's much more I... prominent in your Zoom window than the previous one. And well, I have my laptop on like some books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I got the Blue Yeti, uh, quite the investment. But I did have that last microphone for probably eight years or something. So oh, yeah, nice. It lasted a long time. Um, but yeah, I thought that this would just. I didn't. I thought it would be bigger than the Samson me- Meteor mic that I, you have and that I had before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's well here. I can put them next to each other. They're like, <laughs> yeah like literally the full height is like double the size of this and then it's also like girthier yeah <laughs> there's no other way of saying that yeah <laughs> um but yeah i'm excited to hear how it sounds um you yeah know, as am back i to me with you i'm excited to edit this in i don't know two hours <laughs> well i guess after two hours from when it's it's over, so yeah. <laughs> more like three hours or four hours. Are you doing any Halloweeny stuff? It is the wheat day before Halloween. Uh, it is, yeah, and we're we're continuing our our time honored tradition of of spooky podcasting. This time <laughs> last year, you and I were talking about the French Dispatch. <laughs> I, I tweeted about that. I saw that. <laughs> I tweeted about that. And this year, we're talking about episode seven and eight. <laughs> Of season five of The Handmaid's Tale. Woo. 
Um, yeah, no, uh, we uh, and our close friends, we are uh, completing our watch or rewatch of mm-hmm. uh, the Twilight uh, Saga series of films. Um, we watched Breaking Dawn Part 1 yesterday, and mm-hmm. we're watching Breaking Dawn Part 2 tonight. And uh, Halloween itself being a Monday, uh, it'll be just a regular workday followed by hopefully some trick-or-treaters in the evening. And um, that's about it. Are you, um, do you get trick-or-treaters? Yeah, we did get some last year and I expect we'll get probably even more this year. Yeah, that's so fun. I We get, we get trick-or-treaters in this house and I wish we got more. I, Wish we got more, honestly. I love them so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, begun to uh, feel like some sweater weather uh, since we last spoke uh, two weeks ago here in Tucson. And uh, yeah, we're just doing what we can to embrace the fall. You know, we bought the cinnamon broom from Trader Joe's. Yes. We're drinking pumpkin porters. and That's right. Uh, we, we've been watching a lot of spooky scary movies i did watch a spooky scary movie with kenny last week that was bad oh no you want to talk about it he really wanted to watch it it's called dark corners not familiar it's so there's another movie called dark corners that came out in 2021 but this one came out in oh i don't know maybe like 2002 and it's got um oh what is her name it's got the girl from american beauty in it Okay. And Hocus Pocus. Do you know who I mean? Um, No. I've seen Hocus Pocus. I've never seen American Beauty. Thora Birch. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's about this, like, these two characters, both played by Thora Birch, that keep, like, falling asleep and waking into the other's consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Kenny just likes it because aesthetically it's like incredibly similar to Silent Hill, like just purely in terms of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. But the, he had like such tr- – he like saw this movie once in 2007 or something like that. I don't exactly remember. Mm-hmm. And then ha- could not find it anywhere. So he finally bought like a DVD of it, which even that was difficult to do because there's this other movie that came out. <laughs> Yeah. In 2021, also called Dark Corners. Probably not even related, right? Like, no, completely not a remake, different. just a, just <laughs> using the same title for a different yes. thing. Yeah. But yeah, it it ends, and I was like, what the hell was that? Kenny was like, listen, listen, I know, but <laughs> do you see why aesthetically I like this movie? And I was like, yeah. I was like, also, I obviously really like Thora Birch, so I'm like happy to see her in anything. And Kenny was like, yeah, I think that's another reason I have a soft spot, but mm. I think we're going to watch another spooky movie tonight. I hope so, yeah. Uh, speaking of sort of spooky, scary media, I wanted to uh, <laughs> mention something that I would I would file under old business were this an episode of the Smug Buds, but yes, it's not. It's and not. We don't do old business for the Smug Buds, but if we did, I might hearken back to the recent comic books episode where I think we were getting your baseline and you mentioned Batman Hush. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, I haven't read it, but I actually have it right here. I reached uh-huh. over on my shelf. I held it up. And I think I said to you, because you were more familiar with it than I am, this is like the whole thing, right? And you were just looking at me over Zoom and you didn't have a great view of it. But you you said yes. 
Yeah, because when I read it, it was just like a volume. Yeah. So after that, it was a trade paper- paperback, to be clear, that I was holding oh. in my hand. And so uh, after that, I sat down to read it. And then I took a, a closer inspection of it. <laughs> and in addition to saying in huge letters, Batman Hush, uh-huh. the cover also says in the tiniest letters imaginable, <laughs> volume two. Oh, no. That's what I had on my shelf. Uh, so I found uh, volume one, in tra- uh-huh. which is an even slimmer uh, trade paperback. And uh, then I read them both. So oh, now I can say I've read that. And uh, it's, uh, I, I guess my review of it is it's it's goofy as hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's very silly. I like it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of, um, so reading volume one, mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, I'm reminded of like why I don't generally read Batman comic books. And it's, mm-hmm. and I, that is mainly a statement about the visual aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily, uh, my take on the story. Mm-hmm. And then both improved for me in volume two. Mm-hmm. It was easier to look at and absorb what was happening visually. And then on top of that, I sort of embraced the goofiness of the of the story yeah. in volume two. So it sort of won me over, but in a mild way. Yeah. And now I, I feel like I under like I've you know I've heard Hush is pretty famous for a for a comic book story arc. Yeah, it's pretty beloved, I would say. So for years, I've thought like I, I guess they're probably going to get around to using that as fodder for a movie for a live mm. action movie one of these days. And now I kind of feel like I understand why they haven't and why they yeah. probably won't bother. <laughs> yeah, it's not really made for that. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. You know, I don't, can't imagine the good version of the serious live action <laughs> movie adaptation of that material. But more importantly, most importantly of all, speaking of adapting literary material for the screen. Uh-huh. Uh, in unimaginable, unthinkable ways. Uh, we are here to talk about, as uh, previously mentioned, episodes seven and eight of season five of Hulu's uh-huh. The Handmaid's Tale. Um, episode seven. Um, episode I can. Uh, episode seven is called No Man's Land, right? Yes, it is. And episode eight is called Motherland. Yes, it right? is. Right? Okay. Two sure is two pretty decent puns, uh, back to back. Uh, episode seven is an episode that I think I'm going to uh expect you to take the lead on in our discussion. Yeah, uh, this uh is an episode where a character uh, gives birth to a, a baby boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, this is in your wheelhouse. Long, yes, it is. The longest time listeners of our podcasts will know that this is a, a subject that you're smug about. And you texted me to say that uh, you used the word absurd. I can't, I can't Oh, I, that was actually about the next episode. No, you. Well, you later you said. Everything Lawrence is saying in this episode is absurd. And that was about episode eight. 
Yeah. But I'm sure I have a text from you about episode seven. Oh, that probably. Okay. I was um, thinking about the Lawrence text. No, you used the word absurd twice. You <laughs> both so times. Absurd. They are a, they are a week apart. Yeah. But we also don't have any intervening <laughs> texts in that week, and so they they're more or less back to back. When we, when Dana and I were done watching episode seven, Dana uh-huh. Dana hilariously and I think unintentionally, like with no hint of irony, I think. Said, yeah. said, I wonder if Liz will have anything to say about <laughs> the the birthing scenes in this episode. And I was kind of like, hmm, yeah, I wonder I wonder if Liz will have any opinions about that. Your your words on Friday, October twenty first, were I'm watching episode seven and I know we'll talk at length, but this is all caps absurd. <laughs> yeah. So what were you thinking when you said that? So very quickly before we talk about this, I do want to say that I was talking to Kenny at one point in the past two weeks and I was like going on about something, about how something just makes sense. And he said, yeah, well, they've got to hold that for the the spinoff. I was like, well, yeah, and then there's that. And he was like, wait, there's actually a spinoff? I was making a joke. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, okay. So – I, I have a note later on that just says this would be touching if they literally didn't want to murder each other. <laughs> well. Because like, so like the thesis of this episode is essentially like June's like the bigger woman because she's not going to let Serena um, like essentially die giving birth. Like she's not going to make a Serena go through giving birth alone possibly putting her baby in danger um when they're in the middle of nowhere and it's going to be hard for them to get anywhere um because she's a better person and she knows that the life of this infant is like more important than hers i would have ditched this woman's ass so fast like so first off (laughs) I have two things. The first is that, so they're driving away. Serena's like, I'm not going to shoot you. June yells, are you in fucking labor? Which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. They the car, get, the car that they're in gets stuck in a ditch. And first off, that car would not be stuck in a ditch. Why not? Nothing about that ditch screamed, my car is going to get stuck in this. Okay. It was like a barely an angle. There was grass, and it was at such a slow sloping angle that she literally could have just driven the car forward. Like she could have just turned the wheel to the left, hit the gas, and she would have been able to just drive out of. Even if she was stuck going backwards, she would have been able to just go forward out of the ditch. Yeah. And this is like a huge plot point, right? Because they need mm. to have them be stuck there so she can give birth in a fucking. A fucking barn, Will. A fucking barn. <laughs> yeah. So they they um they have they have a needle to thread here because it they they need to get stuck, but also June needs to be able to get the car unstuck, which yes. she does, mm-hmm. so that later she's not there just because she needs to be there and she has nowhere else to go. She has a means of leaving, and she chooses to stay and so i i i yeah i hear your i hear what you're saying i just saw the back tire you know off the ground i thought yeah that's just gonna spin there whether you're going backwards or forwards 
because the front wheels just steer. They don't mm-hmm. turn with the acceleration. Yeah, I guess we also don't know if it's like back wheel drive or front wheel drive, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I had and yes, clearly it's like a plot device, but I was just like so unconvinced by yeah the way this car was stuck. Yeah, it's not it's not as dramatic as what we're used to seeing in films and TV for when a, a car gets stuck. I think also if it had been muddy, I would believe it better. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you will spin out in mud or whatever. Sure. Yeah. But it was, like, dry as hell. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. it wasn't, like, soft ground, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're going to be in a barn. And they're going to be in a barn. I think to the their, barn. I think to their credit, they did say what I was thinking, which sometimes I think is a benefit uh, when I think... I think June says to Serena, bitingly, maybe they'll have a manger. She does. That's what I wrote down. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's just what I was thinking. That's a good a way, as I could think of, to address that <laughs> thought. There's also the other thing that they do is they do these little flashbacks between June and Serena. Yes. And I hate these because it's this this is okay, so this is my thesis about this episode, about these two episodes, which is that the show is trying oh, I texted this to Elise because I was like she was like, I really like this episode. And I was like, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. To to, um, to to tell you what I'm thinking, I'm much more interested in episode eight. And I basically thought that episode seven was fine to good. Or good by my standards for this show. I do yes. think my issues with the episode are are mostly relegated to the flashbacks mm-hmm. and specifically the moments in the flashbacks. There, I think there are multiple moments where it's like June and Serena are giving each other looks. The, oh my gosh, I wrote supposed that's to what be I significant. wrote. <laughs> and that that is very silly because that yes. feels totally. Uh, unearned yes um but otherwise i didn't have a lot to complain about watching this episode so the thing i said was the show is trying to like purify serena through the sanctity of motherhood so they're Mm. essentially trying to say because again as i've mentioned many many times before (laughs) serena is actually evil like she is not redeemable she has not only committed rape herself actively not just within part of a system that codifies it but she has also been part of the codification of the system of rape actively she is not redeemable and they're trying to like be like oh well you know now she understands because she's experiencing it firsthand, which we'll talk about more in the next episode. But also, like, I just feel like there's this, you know, I, I, I associate myself, I've mentioned this before, with the term mother more than any other gendered term. But that said, it is absurd to me that they're essentially saying, like, becoming a mother will purify Serena and make her good or make her redeemable or make her worthy of our empathy again. Um, 
And I think it's like a terrible way to view motherhood as this like, it it's so Christian. You know what I mean? I think that's the thing is this show, which is like so critical of the way religion is being used in Gilead is now essentially making the argument at a meta level that much like Mary was able to have this virgin birth, like Serena is going to be able to be like purified through motherhood, which is stupid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the can we just talk about the flashbacks as a whole? Sure. So the flashbacks are basically about there's a woman who's a handmaid. They're back. It's where we are in terms of the show is um Janine is still pregnant with the Putnam's baby. Um so it's sort of and June of course has been assigned as a handmaid, but it's to the um Waterfords, but but it's sort of maybe like right before the show starts. Mm-hmm. Serena and June, the silly looks, they keep giving each other these like little looks like, oh, this is silly. This like Aunt Lydia's like kind of extra or whatever. Then the baby's not coming out. And so they basically um have her they have the wives leave. And they keep all the handmaids there, put up a curtain, and they do a C-section. And the baby lives and the handmaid does not survive. Mm-hmm. Um, which one, this was one of those, like, they do C-sections, Will. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why don't they just do, again, it's one of those things, too, where, like, you know, C-sections and natural births both have their own risks. And I understand that part of the Gilead thing is like, oh, look at us. We're like, um, you know, we do this like the natural way or whatever, except until it's convenient for them not to. Like, it just doesn't make any sense that they're giving the C-section. But also, like, why not have every single handmaid have a C-section? I mean, obviously there's the ritual, but it would be like you'd just pick the day, you'd be able to get it out. You'd be so much less likely to have these issues where these – more than once, a, a baby has died because the umbilical cord is around its throat in this show. Here, here, Here's the thing. <laughs> I don't need or expect the show to do any of the things that it you are complaining about it <laughs> not doing right now. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you honestly look at all of the, like, ruling class of Gilead and think, ah, yes, intelligent people, <laughs> competent people who will know what to do in each of these cases. I guess it's no, not so much that. if they do stupid stuff, it's because they're stupid. Who cares? I guess it's just like, I'm trying to like go along with what the show is trying to argue. And like, they keep doing things where like, I mean, this is part of the reason why we watch the show is like... <laughs> It doesn't even make sense in their own worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then the very last little look that Serena and June give each other is June essentially nods that this handmaid had died giving birth to Serena, and Serena seems like upset about that. Um, at one point, June and Serena get into a little spat because uh, Serena's like, "You're trying to murder my baby," and June's like, "Jesus," and just like walks out of there like, "You can do this by yourself." And she's trying to get the car out of the ditch. And then she goes back and Serena says, you came back. And she says it exactly the way the Beast does in Beauty and the Beast when Belle hmm. is there. It's funny. <laughs> of- <laughs> Belle's like, you know, Belle and the- is like, of course I came back. Um, 
Oh, and this is also, again, this is like one of those things. I know we were just saying like, the show doesn't make sense. That's the point. But like, when Serena is all upset that this handmaid has died, like giving birth, like when she has this face that's like, oh, I understand that this is a bad thing. Like this was rough. I'm like, you, your last handmaid hung herself. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't new to you. Like, you know what this is doing to these women. This isn't a surprise. Right. Yeah. It's, it's what I was uh, expecting it to be when we talked about it last time. It's like, this is clearly designed to be a bottle episode where it's just the two of them in the barn. That's the shape yeah. of the uh, story, to borrow a Joe Scopolato term. Mm-hmm. But do they have the material to fill a whole hour uh, with that story and that shape? No. They have to fill time with something else. And so they invent a flashback that's parsed out through like three different installments. And it's, it's, I think it's just filler. I think it's it's not additive. I think it's not earned. Uh, I think it's just there to fill time. Yeah. And it serves its purpose in that way. So, yeah. So she gives birth. Uh, which is fine. The way that she gives birth makes sense. That was good. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, she had to push. I will say <laughs> she uh, gets sepsis pretty quick. Like, she spikes a fever. And I know that that can happen. Um, but it just seems like it was not enough time for her. Like, I don't think she would have gotten sick in the way that she did as quickly as she did. If that makes okay. sense. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like if she has a bacterial infection um, from giving birth in a barn. Um, but she, because there's a lot of things that can go wrong. But like the fact that she seemed to otherwise have like a pretty normal birth and wasn't hemorrhaging or something like that. I don't think that she would immediately have had like a bacterial infection that was causing her to have a fever within like three hours or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so June and Serena have this back and forth. Where June's like, well, first off, they name, <laughs> she names the baby Noah, mm-hmm. um, the, the quote, savior of humanity. And I'm like, yeah, because there was a genocide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the Noah story is so funny because we constantly, like, you know, peddle it to children because it's got, like, animals in it. <laughs> but Sure. You know, and then you can make toys out of it, right? Uh, yeah, in a video game, famously. <laughs> and instead, it's like, oh no, like, everybody was murdered. And, like, violently murdered in a flood. Oh no. <laughs> like, animals and plants were all destroyed. <laughs> it feels very much like the snap, you know what I mean? Yeah, and God s- did snap. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's not, it's not, not a fitting name. I don't, I don't think that they look away from, from, from subject matter like that. Oh yes. No, absolutely. Um, but now Serena's like feverish. And so she is saying to June, like, why didn't you kill me? 
Like, why didn't you kill me when you had the chance to kill me? And, like, fair question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, why didn't June just kill her? <laughs> and, I mean, I know the answer. I know the answer is the show, the plot. But, like... Is it? I mean... Yeah. I mean, sure. It is. On, on one level. But... I don't know. I feel like we're not continuing the conversation that we had at the beginning of this season, Mm -hmm. which was to commend the show for finding an interesting angle on this subject matter, Mm -hmm. which is asking questions about... Like, what goes too far? If you hated someone that much and... Uh, they were escaping justice probably for the rest of their lives and they've done horrible things that they deserve punishment for and the world is a worse off place with them continuing to be in it Mm -hmm. and you had the opportunity (laughs) to take revenge and kill them. Are Are you supposed to do that? And, and, uh, you know, the most interesting thing in the season so far was, was Luke and June talking about like, well, I didn't do it, but next time I might. And he's like, me too. Also, yeah, me, I also might do it. And, uh, I don't, I, I think I, I'm not, I'm, I'm more interested in than opposed to a story about indulging those feelings and embracing those thoughts and motivations mm-hmm. but but also coming to terms with uh maybe it, putting them into practice isn't the best course of action moving forward now yeah. it's it's not it's not as complicated as i would like it to be because when you actually look at it in practice, take it case by case. She did take her revenge on Fred. Mm-hmm. She did uh, brutally murder him. She can do the same for Serena. There, there seems to be nothing to do with regret or questioning her actions or her motivations. Mm-hmm. And it just has everything to do with the motherhood angle that you were speaking about. And yeah, I think that's Serena, why I'm like, Serena by is it. spared because she uh, has a baby. So is it, is it interesting? And do I want to give it a little bit of credit? Yes. Could it be more nuanced, more interesting and more complicated? And I would like it better. Sure. Yeah. That also. At one point, um, Serena says, that she's worried about the way Noah's sleeping with all the blankets. And I wrote down, I'm glad Serena is up on safe sleep on sleep, safe sleep protocols. Mm-hmm. And then another little thing that she says that drives me nuts is she says that she's so hot. And June says, that's because you have a fever. And uh, that's not how fevers work. Hmm. When you have a fever, you feel cold and achy. Like, you personally feel cold and achy. Mm-hmm. You don't feel hot when you have a fever. 
you feel hot like to a thermometer. Mm-hmm. So I was like, <laughs> come on, guys. Like if she'd just been like, God, I'm so chilly, but I'm sweating, then yeah, I would have been like, Yes, you have a fever. Mm-hmm. So basically at this point, Serena's like, you know, maybe I really am just a vessel. She says, maybe I was the ark. And June is like, oh, come on. Like, we got to get you out of here. You have to live. Your baby's going to grow up to be the person, you know, it d- depending on how he's raised. Like, that's how that's going to shape who he is as a person. Basically saying to Serena, like, basically, you know, choosing a way to say to Serena, like, it's possible that your child will be good without having to define goodness or like you know without saying like you're a model of goodness or something like that Mm -hmm. and then serena starts saying like you should just take the baby you should just raise him like you're gonna do better at it and finally she's like convinces serena to leave the barn because she how does she actually end up getting the car out of the ditch i don't remember she uses like some wood or something she that's right she finds like a plank she finds uh detritus or detritus i don't know which is the right way to say it to wedge in between the Mm -hmm. wheel that is off the ground and the ground basically bringing the ground up to the the wheel and giving it something to giving it a little runway to uh drive off have some traction and get back on the road I will say, I knew that that gun was still in the car, and I was very briefly like, oh my god, is Serena going to shoot herself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she didn't. Yeah, so, and the and the um, the windshield is, is busted and broken, yeah. and there's a, a moment where June could drive off because the car is back on the road, but also she can't see through the broken windshield, and so she has to like roll her sleeve over her mm-hmm. fist and just like punch a hole <laughs> yeah. that's big enough to see through through the window w- through the windshield which creates an opportunity for like there's like a pretty good shot you know yeah. like a a shot that stands out as like oh in, you know engaging to to look at mm-hmm. uh where you can see the road ahead just through the hole and the shattered windshield and um that was a moment where I and I was sort of thought like, oh, this this is a scene that has no dialogue, and so it's not mm-hmm. weighed down by like any issues that I could have with the writing or, or the performances. It's just it's just well shot, and it's like oh, this feels like a real like a real show or 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 like a movie almost. Yeah, there was also a shot that I really liked earlier when they're in the barn where it's like up in the rafters of the barn and in the forefront there's just this giant spider web. Oh yeah. Um and then like in the back up against like a wall is Serena and I think she's like maybe she's actually pushing at that point maybe I'm wrong. Mm. But that shot I also was like, "Oh, this is like a nice shot and like you can see the spider web and I'm like pleased with that." Mhm. Oh, also at this point Kenny says they didn't drive that far, so I don't know how Scruff McGruff didn't catch up with them. Ezra, well, <laughs> I, I mean, he was on foot. Yeah, I guess, I guess, okay, if Kenny's point was they didn't drive that far, yeah, maybe. Or, you know, they're there for hours. I think the assumption is he still has a cell phone on him. Yeah. Um, Clearly he got home somehow because, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, we haven't seen him again yet, and we may, perhaps we never will, 
But yeah. also we learn that he's fine. Yes. So Serena's in the hospital. They've taken the ba- baby Noah to the NICU. He's possibly jaundiced. We do get some good acting from the woman who plays Serena, who's I, I looked up her name, by the way, and I was like, I I'm sure I've seen this name before and I have no memory of it. It's I I still don't know have a have a memory of it. It's not like a normal name. It's Yvonne and then the last name is like Stra- Strava Hoskier or something. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> and I will say I liked her acting in that scene. When she was in the bed, I liked seeing her um, as much as I'm still very critical of this whole like purified through the sanctity of motherhood thing. I liked seeing her obviously very sick, but trying to essentially repeat all of the things that her brain is now trying to remember because she has to take care of this infant Mm -hmm. where she's very fragile, but she's like okay, I made some notes, like, this is mm-hmm. where he is, this is what's happening, I think it should be okay, you know, these are all normal health things, they know how to deal with this. Um, I thought that that was some good acting. Yeah. So, June goes out into the lobby to make a call. And this part made me actually laugh out loud. Do you know what part I'm going to say? Is it about the thumb drive? No. Okay, because that's what I want to focus on oh yeah we'll talk about that in a second she asks if she can make a phone call using like the front desk phone and he hands it to her and says dial nine first yeah (laughs) which like is one of those things where like yes obviously we all know that when you have an internal phone system and you are trying to call out of the phone system you have to dial nine first that's like i've heard of that yeah yeah, that's the thing I had used to have to do on my phone when I had a work phone. Sure. Um, but it's one of those things where they just did not <laughs> they did not have to have this it's in authentic. the episode. No, and it it's may- so specifically authentic. It's yeah, it's it, well, it's exactly the sort of thing that if they left it out, I might say, how's she going to make an outgoing call using that phone? <laughs> I don't fault them for that at all. So she does class pans with, oh, Seri- so <laughs> she does, she and Serena, June and Serena do class pans and Serena genuinely says thank you to her. And then what do we learn, Will? <laughs> so Luke and June reunite mm-hmm. in this hospital lobby front desk area and Luke and, is okay, because this is Luke, the first time we're seeing Luke. Yes, and Luke is good, and they haven't seen each other since they were separated by the Wheeler's uh, mercenaries or, or mm-hmm. something. And uh, Luke says, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm fine. I got dropped off wherever, he's, whatever he says, and, and he says... Um, I think, like, on the border or something. And he says Mark Tuello uh, has the, the thumb drive, so... The thumb drive that we were questioning, would we ever learn the fate of it? Would it ever have any significance again? Uh, They, yeah, they mention it. It's also funny because it's like, God, the guys who captured them, like I said, like just did a really bad job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then who else did he call? Who else did Luke call? Immigration. He called Canadian ICE, essentially. Sure. 
And they come and they are detaining Serena. They like because- they like their ice hockey up there. <laughs> but immigration and whatever else ice stands for. Yeah, what else does ice stand for? I assume the E is enforcement, perhaps. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel dumb that I don't know this. I guess because I just get mad when I hear it. <laughs> ice stands for customs. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, And so, of course, you know, Serena's being handcuffed. She's screaming because she's going to have her baby taken away from her. Um, she's really, really upset. June is, like, upset with Luke. And this is another thing where, like, they sort of walk back on this a little bit in the next episode. But June is basically like, you didn't have to call Canadian Ice to Luke. And Luke is like, uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it it's doesn't make sense. And it what what doesn't make sense is... That June is like, basically like, why would you call the cops on Serena? And Luke is basically like, once again, you were going to shoot her in the head. And my point has been that I think that we can get the existing systems to punish her adequately. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so because she was here, we knew exactly where she was and she was on Canadian soil. I just used the law as it stands. And, you know... Whether, you know, clearly I don't think children should be taken away from their mothers in general and stuff with immigration like that. I'm not speaking about this from that angle, but like from the angle of this woman in this show, of course he called them. It's a very reasonable sort of in Luke's mind, ethical, quote unquote, thing to do more ethical than like vigilante justice. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that I thought that this was um well done for what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. I feel like it had the effect on me that they intended it to have. Mm-hmm. When uh Serena is is screaming for June's help and and particularly the moment when Luke's response or his like context for it is the way he says like justice right or like yeah finally some (laughs) justice huh yeah and i'm like yeah that this is this is getting at some some thoughts and feelings that i have about the subject matters that they are playing with yes for sure about how you know he's framing it as justice but Mm -hmm. What it really is, is revenge. Mm-hmm. And questions about whether there's any such thing as, as justice or is is it just a form of revenge? Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. It, I mean, I guess it's only justice if it's like punishment by the state, which is this is sort of an example of of that happening here, but at the same time, he's personally responsible for it. And mm-hmm. so it's personal on that level, which in my mind tips the scales much closer to revenge than to justice. 
You've seen Pan's Labyrinth, right? Yeah, not in a while, but yes, I've seen it before. Do you remember how that ends? Sort of. I mean, I think that the girl dies, but yeah. it in sort of in her mind, she is we see a visualization of her going to the fantastical world, but really she's and dying. The way that it ends is her half sibling who's just been born, her mother, you know, her mother died in childbirth, is being held by one of the rebels. Um, and the sort of general guy who's like the antagonist in the movie, um, starts giving this little speech about like, you know, make sure my son knows who I am, make sure my son knows the meaning of his name, the meaning of his legacy or something. And they say, he won't even know your name and they shoot him in the head. Uh Um, and I just keep thinking about that with this baby, right? Because Fred's already dead. Except it's like the op- the genders have switched, right? So like mm. Fred's already dead, and now the you know the tie of like what would actually be better for this child to be with his mother, mm-hmm. um, who again I would argue is <laughs> actually evil, <laughs> um, or you know to essentially be so divorced from that that he doesn't even know her name. Yeah. Yeah, I I think sort of the conclusion that I'm coming to is that these larger issues as they appear in the show are difficult to talk about because I get the sense that there's kind of a, like I use the language of like things that they're playing with Mm -hmm. before. And I, I, I mean that in the sense of like the, the, the things that I am most interested in mm-hmm. are the things that I think that they're dabbling in and yeah, yeah. And, and they're using, but they, they're not the show's primary concerns. Mm-hmm. They're also there in service of the primary concerns that I am not as willing to engage with. Yeah, that's fair. And that's why it's hard to talk about it. And that's why I keep talking about it in terms of like, well, this is interesting, but it's not as good as it could be. Mm -hmm. But I have to give it some credit. But it's partial credit because it's it's like a secondary thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like it's sort of like, so my, I already mentioned at least once, but her, um, cat promise died their her and kate's beloved cat died in june and we made some art for them um like some memorial art and it's this art this is related i swear to god i took some photos of promise traced them on paper and then traced the tracing with hot glue and then colored in some parts with a wax crayon and then elliot and i both watercolored them and mine i did sort of this sort of reverse rainbow where like the background was a rainbow in one direction and then the inside of Promise's body was a rainbow in the other direction. And then Elliot just sort of used color. And it's quite striking. Like, she does have, like, sort of a foreground and a background. Just, like, she uses different colors and um, she repeats some colors. But every time I look at this painting, I keep thinking, man, this is really striking, but how much of this was intentional? Hmm. <laughs> And I feel like that sort of was what's happening with the show where like 
some of the things that I think you and I are most interested in and that we think are, um, you know, compelling are, I, I'm constantly asking myself, but how intentional was it that they made such a compelling little moment there? Right. Like I would be interested in, uh, the question of, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, was June able to take her revenge on Fred and brutally murder him because she was part of a mob Mm -hmm. and she doesn't have that in the case of Serena? I suppose maybe she could, Mm -hmm. but her opportunities to kill her have been really like face-to-face solo. Yeah. And I would be sort of interested in the question of like, oh, are you are you always going to chicken out mm-hmm. when you come face to face, when you look the person in the eye and mm-hmm. you have to shoot them in the head and they are another person <laughs> and mm-hmm. as horrible as they've been to you, you might have some sympathetic feelings for them mm-hmm. just for merely the fact that they're another human um, or in this case of these circumstances, another new mother or something. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, you know, the question, which I think is, it's it's barely addressed, but I mean, it has to be there. You know, the question of like, well, Fred was the man and Serena's the woman. Mm-hmm. And so how much easier it is, is it to brutally kill him and get revenge mm-hmm. on him than it is against her? Um these are questions that I think are there are 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 being pondered without being addressed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have any more on this episode. Do you? No. Let's move on to the next one. So you you take the lead on this one. I you will want tell me you. To? Well, actually, I will, let me start with one thing. So Serena's in prison. It's been we figure out a month, right? Yes. Um, and I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I just really want to point this out. Full um, credit to them for outright saying to us, it has been one month since yes. the last episode. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank I, you so I, much. No sarcasm. I love that. So baby Noah is with the Wheelers. Uh-huh. And Mrs. Wheeler comes to pick up the breast milk from Serena. Serena's like just trying to logistically figure out like, what can I do to get back to my baby? Like, what can I do to get out of prison? Mm-hmm. I'm pumping, you know, I'm I'm doing this. And Mrs. Wheeler says, this is, for them having sort of a normal birth in a barn, this is like, <laughs> so stupid. They're like, she's like, Noah has turned the house upside down. Okay, so first off, this woman that's obsessed with keeping this baby mm-hmm. is complaining about it. Mm-hmm. So just at like that, a foundational level, it's like, why does this woman even want this baby if she's just complaining about it? Yeah. She's saying, he cries all the time. We can't get him to stop crying. And we've been doing cry it out and it's not working. Yeah. You fucking idiot. You can't. Do you know what cry it out is? <laughs> is it the same as, um, what is it called? Ferberizing or... So fer- the Ferber method, it's it's related. If I'm remembering, the Ferber method is the one that makes a little bit more sense depending on how you're doing it. Mm. 
So the idea with cry it out is that when you have an older baby, they will sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and start crying. And the reason they're crying is because they're awake and they would like some attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but when this older baby is doing this, very often they're not actually hungry. They're not actually uncomfortable. They're just awake. And they know that if they scream their little heads off, you're going to come in and like pay attention to them. Right. So the idea with Cry It Out is that if your baby wakes up, if your baby is still waking up like two or three times a night when they're old enough where they should not be waking up that regularly, you don't go in right away. Mm-hmm. You let them cry for a while, realize nothing's going to happen. Right. And then they fall asleep again by themselves. Yeah. Like training a dog. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's some controversy with this method in the sense that you have to do it at the right time. Mm-hmm. And for some babies, it is – not for some babies. Depending on the situation, it won't work because the baby does actually have a need. Sure. Um, crying prolonged pr- – crying for a prolonged amount of time does cause the baby's cortisol levels to go up and it can be very stressful. Um, When – we, you know, Elliot slept through the night so early, we never had to do anything in the middle of the night like that. Mm-hmm. But when Elliot, when we were putting Elliot to bed very early, what we would do is, you know, we would get Elliot in her pajamas, we would put her in her bed, and then we would say, okay, I'm going to go, and we would leave. I mean, this is from when Elliot was like three or four months old or something into, the, you know, that whole range there in the middle of the first year. And Elliot, we would leave, and Elliot would cry. And so the way that we did it is we would wait a few minutes, depending on what the crying was like. Sometimes it was, you know, five minutes. If it really sounded quite panicked, maybe it would only be two. And then we would go back in, settle her down, and leave again. And we would sort of repeat this ad nauseum. The idea being that you don't stay in the room and just sort of coddle this baby until it falls asleep. And then you have to somehow get it into the crib and creep out of their house. All this said, you cannot do this with a one-month-old, this baby, or anything below that. Because newborns are – part of the reason the newborn phase is such hell is because they are so little that they cannot sleep through the night because their stomachs are too small and they they will be hungry. They run through all their energy of what they can consume in two to three hours. That's why – They wake up every two or three hours or, you know, three or four hours even in the night. So you can't just cry it out with a one-month-old. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Once again, like much more than before. No, this like before when I said like, yeah, they'll do a C-section. It'll kill the mother. Yeah. They they should do – your point was they should do C-sections more often. Whatever. I don't expect them to know very much. If they're stupid, uh, all the better. Yes. This is this is not just like an unintentional side effect. You you are describing what the show is going for. <laughs> yes, where this woman has no idea anything about how a baby works at all, and honestly, this baby is legitimately in danger because yeah. she also says she's not. She also says the baby's not eating. That's and the it's point. Like, <laughs> So anyway, that's just my little rant on cry it out and Yeah, this. and in fact Serena says in a single line 
the same thing that you're saying. Yeah, she says maybe the baby just needs to be held. No, no, no. She says oh. Noah is too young for cry it out. Yes. <laughs> yes, she does. That's that's the point that the show is making. The wheelers have the baby. That's bad. Not only because it's not their baby, it's Serena's baby, but because they're bad parents. And incompetent. And Serena would be a better parent. Yes. Not only because it's her baby, but because she knows things. <laughs> she somehow has garnered some information about child rearing. Right. Yeah. Who knows how. So that's that's the show do, doing its thing, which is a little bit ridiculous. But also, it's intentional. Okay, so what do you what do you want to talk about next? Okay, so before I get into just the one scene that I think is interesting in episode eight, mm-hmm. um, I thought I would take a moment to do something just because there's a chance that it might be amusing. Mm-hmm. And and if it was my priority to make the podcast entertaining, mm-hmm. I would devote much more of our time to talking about The Handmaid's Tale social media presence. Oh, yes. Particularly, so the show is uh, verified on Twitter, at Handmaids on Hulu. Okay. Um, This is just wall-to-wall. Specifically, don't just look at their tweets timeline, Uh but but click over to tweets and replies, right? Mm, Yeah. You could spend hours. I think it would never stop being entertaining. <laughs> it is off the walls bananas. You can't believe. Uh-huh. So um, just for example, um, on October 11th, uh, the account tweeted a poll. And the poll was, does Serena deserve the Wheeler's treatment? <laughs> and the two options in the poll are... I love to see it, exclamation point. <laughs> and no one deserves that, period. <laughs> this, uh, uh, we have the final results. Yes. There are 2,376 votes and uh-huh. 79.7% said, I love to see it. <laughs> 20.3% said, no one deserves that. And to get into replies, for example, someone replies to the poll saying, she now knows what it's like. I love it. And then The Handmaid's Tale replies to that reply, is revenge the answer? (laughs) So we're getting into the... The questions that that we we ask about because we are also uh, dealing with the same material. I wanted to highlight another reply that when I saw it, okay, two weeks ago, I thought, Liz might lose her mind. We have to talk about this. Okay. On September 29th, uh-huh. somebody uh, with 24 followers on Twitter uh-huh. tweeted, all caps, Serena's character, period, wow, hashtag Handmaid's Tale. To their credit, they spelled it correctly. Uh-huh. And then the Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale account tweeted a reply with a gif of Serena. 
and the words, there has never been a more complex character. (laughs) (laughs) No! Why would you say that? (laughs) She's not. Who would say that? She's not. That's... Talk about talk about absurd to use oh your my God, to use your favorite word. That is absurd. That is absurd. So that's just a sample. Like that is is those are just two examples you can find hundreds that are yes. that just strike the same exact chord of like tone deaf, tone deaf, tone deaf. Like <laughs> imagine keyboard cat hitting all the wrong keys. Just like burr, 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 burr. the most complex character ever in fiction. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> Is this fucking white woman. Um, this evil white woman. Okay. So to actually get into what I think is interesting in episode eight, mm-hmm. I mainly just want to talk about the scene with Lawrence, Nick, and a few other commanders, and yes. we learn what New Bethlehem is. Yes. So, I want to talk about this for a few reasons, because we, we have to talk about the idea of New Bethlehem itself, mm-hmm. and we also have to talk about the responses to it. Yeah. In particular, this is, this is the main one and only thing that I want to get off my, my chest. Mm-hmm. is is so we we know it's been a month right mm-hmm. now we're in new bethlehem what we've known about this as a vague idea is for example a month ago another commander was telling lawrence you will never get this off the ground mm-hmm. and so they killed him they shot him in the head in front of a bunch of people at, at a restaurant we didn't know existed. I guess it's been about a month since that happened. Mm-hmm. New Bethlehem exists. Like mm-hmm. it is it is a place and there are a bunch of nice empty homes there. Mm-hmm. Which it's kind of begs painfully the, suburban. Which kind of begs the question did all of this exist already? Did anyone live there? Did they just did they just buy an island with a bunch of homes? Okay, so there and... was two things I wanted to point out, which is that, yeah, it's an island specifically. Mm-hmm. And I cannot give you a quote, but I feel like it was new construction. Yeah. I feel that, like at some point way... I got, there was some information that let my brain know it was new construction. That's like they the built way this. it felt to me too. Like this didn't exist until they built all of it. Like, it's designed. It's designed to be an island that's going to be a community. So it's going to have, like, I d- we haven't seen a floor plan, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not just, like. But they, the, what they want us to swallow is that in addition to all of this feeling like new construction, new homes that weren't purchased, they were built, they've never been mm-hmm. lived in before. On top of that, Commander Lawrence is still, like, pitching it. Mm-hmm. it, it he's still, like, this is what it could be. And we yeah. need your approval. Like the guy who's arguing with him says, I still get a vote. Yeah. So it's. Yeah, because. Do, do you see what I'm saying? He, it, he it, says, it, I it still... already exists. Like, why would you be voting on it before all of this is physically here? 
Yeah, because that would have taken... Why would you be voting on it after? I mean, even if they had, like, a really dedicated group of people building those houses, like, it would have taken years to build all those houses. But more importantly, how the scene ends Mm -hmm. is Lawrence says something reminding the other commanders of what happened to Commander... Was it Winslow? Was that his name? The the shot-in-the-head guy... Uh, Putnam. Putnam, right. Okay. Um, Commander Putnam, he lacked moral fortitude. And and look at what happened to him. And the guy who's been arguing with Lawrence cowers in fear. Yeah. And says, I take back everything I just said and I apologize. I'm sorry. I never should have listened to the deceased Commander Putnam uh, whispering in my ear or, yeah. or something like that. And the zero subtlety subtext is we killed this guy because he was against this project. Mm-hmm. And if you are against it, we will kill you too. Mm-hmm. And w- here's what it made me think of. Mm-hmm. You've seen uh, Game of Thrones. Um. I've seen parts of Game of Thrones, but please continue with your you, metaphor. You get it. You, you've you seen enough Game of Thrones to get the gist. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like what's going on here, the way that Lawrence has seized control with this kind of might makes right. Um, he's ruling through fear. Mm-hmm. They, they... Seems like the writers of this show want to introduce a layer of political intrigue mm-hmm. that was maybe present before, but always more had more of a backseat and was vaguer. It's coming to the forefront more specifically now. Mm-hmm. And how it feels to me is imagine the political intrigue of game of Thrones with all of its actors who have their own uh, agendas uh, who are all, selfishly motivated who are all trying to climb over each other to the top yeah but of all those characters only one guy has the idea to use violence (laughs) and to kill his enemies (laughs) and that guy just wins by default (laughs) because he's the only guy who will be like well, that guy's against me. Why don't I shoot him in the head or have him <laughs> shot in the head? Yeah. End of end of intrigue. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Well, and like also like we never like one of the things that sort of sucked about Putnam getting shot, though that dude was skeevy as hell, was just like we don't know any of the other commanders. It's like there's only three commanders in the whole universe or like four. And it was like Lawrence Waterford and now Nick. And then Putnam. There's and one, we killed one of them. There's one guy who's still out there who I think they want us to remember. Oh, uh, Hannah's dad. Right, exactly. And and just based on Hannah's parents, quote unquote, mm-hmm. the way that they were a presence earlier in the season... It didn't feel like a one-time thing to me. Yeah. But uh, maybe I'm wrong. 
Yeah, no, it felt like they should come back for sure. I also, at the very beginning of the episode, it's worth mentioning that Serena, or not Serena, June and Moira and Luke are all, and I, is Rita there too? I forget if she's there at the very beginning. I think they're so. all They're all sort of like, they look like they're just like cleaning up after breakfast or something like that. Uh, yeah. And it's just like so loud and chaotic outside and you realize that these anti-refugee Canadians have been driving past their house with like signs just like blaring their horns constantly and then they like walk outside as if to observe them which is also like an absurd (laughs) thing like why would you go outside um and that's when we sort when we get to see you know these people are just sort of constantly driving by and honking and and yelling about how they don't want them here and then a little bit later they uh, get some graffiti spray painted on their sidewalk, um, which they're scrubbing off with also their neighbors are also scrubbing it off. We see them sort of down the sidewalk a little bit um, with just like a bucket and like a scrub brush, which is ridiculous. Again, this is not the point, but like I was like, get a power washer, guys. This is not the way to get rid of this. Mm-hmm. And oh, but also it is fully spring now. Mm. This It is finally no longer winter. Mm hmm. Um, but this is worth mentioning because it is setting the tone that suddenly we now know that maybe Canada isn't as welcoming as it seemed. It's saying, it's, it's trying to make Canada seem like a less appealing place to live as a refugee. Right. Yeah. So this, uh, element of the story, um, look, from, uh, from, uh, I feel conflicted from an American perspective because my my gut reaction to seeing this mm-hmm. is it's silly to see Canadians acting this way. <laughs> it's it's funny to just take the rhetoric that I am familiar with. Mm-hmm. America first, America is for Americans. It it feels silly to just take that and search and replace Ca- America with Canada. Yes. And it feels far-fetched. Yes. But the, the conflict is I have to then second guess that gut instinct mm-hmm. and re- and I have to convince myself, no, that's fully possible. I, <laughs> I should be able to buy that th- there are Canadians of all stripes <laughs> and there must be some really conservative shithead Canadians. Yeah. And it's totally possible that this would happen. And I I accept that. At the same time, it's coming along now. They sort of they part of the narrative is they have they 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 have some dialogue which seems directed to the viewer who would think like, why is this happening now? Like, why wasn't yeah. this happening all along? And Luke has some dialogue that's like, you know, it was it was in the beginning it was a major crisis and they welcomed us with open arms. And Moira says, I got here after you did, and they welcomed me, but they looked at me funny. And and now they're like, enough time has passed that uh, th- the sentiment is growing. Enough is enough. And, and, and lots of people have probably been desensitized to the crisis of, you know, Gilead seceding mm-hmm. from the United States and all the atrocities and everything. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds like real life. That sounds like what I'm familiar with. Uh, I can buy that. All of that to say that it's all justification for 
the convenience of just as June gets the offer to go someplace else that is tempting but might be a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Also, it's getting worse and worse to say where she is. Yes. So, so all of that to be like, it sound you know must it probably sounds ridiculous to think that she would return to Gilead, right? Well, what if we gave her some more reasons to actually consider it, and so the audience would actually consider it, and not just dismiss it immediately. Uh, the, think, the way that Luke basically does. I think that, um, so as she's literally like scrubbing, Lawrence is just in town, I guess. Yeah, well, he's he was, you know, New, Bethle- New Bethlehem is presumably nearby. Yeah. And so he goes to visit, he calls up June and he basically says like, you know, proposes the situation. And there was one line in this that I was like, oh, now I finally get Lawrence and I don't know why they haven't said this out loud because haven't I said for seasons, like, who is Lawrence? I don't get his motivation. He doesn't make any sense. It's been really confusing and I think it's been sort of intentionally so. But they finally nail it down in this episode and I'm thinking the same thing that you're thinking. Yeah, he says, quote, unfortunately, he, he basically is saying like, you know, I also feel bad about Gilead. It weighs on my conscience. How much that's true is, you know, up for debate. But he says, quote, unfortunately, I had to use, he said, I was trying to save the world, essentially. And he said, unfortunately, I had to use religious nut nut jobs and underestimated their depravity, but it was triage and it worked. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that clicked with me too. I was like, oh, okay. I think that this is enough of a, framework that i can retroactively impose this on his behavior that we've seen mm-hmm. in the past uh it i i i think it makes sense uh, if this guy is the architect of gilead but he does a bunch of things that seem anti-gilead i get it now what's going on is he's not religious, he's practical. Mm-hmm. And his practical plan for how to beat the infertility crisis is what if we rounded up all the women we know to be fertile and made them have more children? Well, who would do that willingly? Probably no one. Mm-hmm. Who would willingly force the, those people into doing it <laughs> religious zealots yeah um so that's the practical thing to do and then also he has regrets because in addition to his plan working mm-hmm. it got away from him because he underestimated how sadistic and perverted religious zealots would be yeah that's pretty clean I I, I I will put a stamp of approval on that. Yeah, I was very pleased to hear that. I do wish I knew about it before now, but I was... <laughs> <laughs> but that said, that one sent Like, just put that one sentence in like two or three seasons ago, but whatever. <laughs> I'm glad that I know it now because now at least this character is less like all over the place to me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know the other thing he says in this conversation that made me laugh out loud so hard? It was my version 
of the uh the lighting. The window thing. The window thing. No, what was it? He's like, you can live with your family, your whole family, like as soon as Hannah gets older. Basically, it's sort of murky as to how Hannah would actually get there, but basically he's saying, like, once she's an adult, she'll be able to come live with you and you can all be together again. And then he says, You can read a novel. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, because she couldn't in regular Gilead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's part of it. And he even says, he even suggests, okay, and so this is where I, where he started saying things where I was like, everything that he says is absurd. He just has a bunch of zingers in this episode. Yeah. One of the first zingers is, he says, I've been grooming Nick. Not Not sexually, sexually. though. (laughs) That genuinely made me laugh. And I think, and and I, I don't think it's bad. <laughs> oh, is it is the be- is the really okay? Yeah, that's later. Um, so she goes back to Luke with this information, wait, wait, and wait, he wait. just we, we got to stay on zingers. Oh, you just want to go through than the going zingers? through it. Progre- pro- you, I, I want to fulfill that promise as, do you as have, quickly as possible. Do He's, you have an irony deficiency? He says to Serena, "Do you have an irony deficiency?" That's pretty funny, <laughs> but it's a little too forced. And then I heard you say to yourself, the really bad one will save for later. I think you're referring to when he says, Gilead is going to Gilead. Gilead's going to Gilead. Yeah. Which is a bad thing to write and a bad thing to say. (laughs) Uh, But what can you do? Uh, I guess guess Lawrence is going to Lawrence. Handmaid's Tale writers are going to Handmaid's Tale write. Uh, Yes. So so there's no avoiding (laughs) that type of line. I just could not believe they gave him all of these zinger. Like, I feel like Lawrence gets like a weird line like once or twice per episode. But I felt like every single scene he was in, he said something that was just truly unhinged. Bradley is going to Whitford. <laughs> what do you want to talk about next? Let's do a quick inside the episode corner. Oh, go Yeah, yeah, do it. Uh, this is not a great one. Uh-huh. I don't remember... Anything standing out in the inside episode for episode seven. There's just a tiny little nugget that I wanted to mention in the inside the episode for this episode, episode eight, which is Bruce Miller, the sort of the main guy uh, talking about New Bethlehem. And he says something along the lines of the idea for, for New Bethlehem came from our conversations with the UN about how a pariah nation would become, and then I forget what the rest of the sentence was, but it was basically like, get a seat at the table, mm-hmm. you know, become, you know, elevate their status so that they're no longer a pariah. They're more palatable. And yeah, I just thought, I should mention that because who at the UN is talking to the handmaid's tale. <laughs> it, it is bizarre to think about <laughs> the makers of the of the Hulu original show, The Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> talking in some kind of official official professional capacity with a repre- with a representative of the United Nations <laughs> to to get ideas for what would realistically happen in their story yeah like who gets paid to do that 
And on the some, official record, so to speak. You know what some, I mean? Some intern, maybe. That's very funny, Will. I'm so glad that you watched those and were I just able thought to it was share kind that of with interesting. me. <laughs> so let's let's get back to Mark Tuello, the thumb drive. Yes. And uh, she was caught up in this new Bethlehem conversation and the conversation about whether June should really consider it mm-hmm. and Luke fighting against her uh, and Mark Tuello telling her it would be a bad thing for your country um, and June having this overwhelming regret that she did the one thing she said she would never do. She left Hannah behind. So here's this sort of big macro thing that's going on in my head after seeing this episode that is like a sequel to this has been going on in my head since June got out of Canada mm-hmm. without Hannah got out of Gilead into Canada without Hannah, particularly at the end of last season, when we talked about before Fred is killed, they have to take this moment to kill him because he's being freed. Mm-hmm. And they are making a deal with him. Mm -hmm. And they establish part of the deal is it might get them closer to getting Hannah back. What he gives up in the deal for his freedom. And June chooses, I'd rather brutally kill him. (laughs) Yeah. But the show, in my opinion, and I already said this at the end of last season, the show doesn't do enough work to frame that as a choice mm-hmm. to a choice of revenge over being with her daughter again, possibly. Mm-hmm. I don't think the show wants us to think about that. It sets it up, but then it doesn't pay it off Yes, in that way. So, so I bring that up again because it likewise... I think what's going on presently and what has been going on for a long time is the what what's left of this story to tell. Mm-hmm. The stakes are mainly, you would think, will they ever get their daughter back? Yes. That seems to be, there. Uh, there's lots of other little storylines going on. But it seems to me that the show wants me to think that the main thread with the highest stakes is will they get Hannah back? Yes. Which itself, I think, creates a problem that they've done that they've done a, a mediocre job of addressing. Mm-hmm. And the the, que- the question that that raises is what. What beats are there in that story in between them not having Hannah and them getting Hannah back? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, I I don't know. They don't seem to know. The the best that they can come up with is there's information on a flash drive Mm -hmm. that could get them. Well, they have to. it's, It's all. Everything that's happening is like a distraction from they don't have anything yeah to do to get what like what would it mean mm-hmm. what would it look like how would you put it on screen 
for them to get closer to having Hannah back than they than they are previously. Yeah. So the end of this episode deals with that in a way that I think is interesting to talk about because it's bizarre and confusing. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, so on top of... The flash drive. Tuello has the flash drive. We never know what's on the flash drive. Yes. It's classified. But Tuello says, it is helpful and it is bringing us closer to, I think he calls it a military operation. Yeah. And he he says that's all, because he wasn't going to tell them anything. That, I think, should be good enough. Yeah. In order to justify the adventure to get the flash drive. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, Luke says, hey, June, you got a package. Uh There's a CD inside the package. So they put it in the computer. Yes, which I was like, oh, I see computers in uh, the Handmaid's Tale still have disk drives. (laughs) And there's a video on it and they watch the video and it's some handheld footage of somebody from outside filming, if you can believe this, through a gigantic window <laughs> to see a window like tunnel the, to see people inside of the building, a breezeway perhaps, a breezeway of sorts, and it and Hannah is among a bunch of uh, girls in a line at the wives school. at the wives school, and Hannah seems to notice the Something. camera person. Uh, and, uh, that's, that's all there is to it. And naturally they flip out. They also, uh, turn it over to Mark Tuello. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the episode, we learn the video got us where we needed to be. Yeah. In it, I suppose in addition to the information that was on the flash drive, but it really seems like it could be one or the other. And he says even something like, oh, I'm going to make a Life Aquatic reference. Remember when they're trying to find the company Bond Stooge and Eleanor is like, based on the amount of time that had passed between when you were when he was captured and when the call was made, the sounds of the surrounding wildlife in the background and something else... Uh, he's on one of the Ping Islands. Right. And the idea is, and then this is what prompts him to say, you know, Eleanor was always the brains behind Team Zisu. But the idea that, like, they're essentially analyzing the background, like, animal activity and stuff Mm -hmm. to figure out, which seems way sillier to me here because, like, I don't know, I feel like most of the birds in North America are, like, pretty similar. (laughs) In a a real show... (laughs) <laughs> they would identify something in the video that identifies the location. Yeah. For the for Tuello and the American government. But they don't name anything specific. Mm-hmm. And it's and we are just left to speculate mm-hmm. in this video that has barely anything in it, how they could possibly like if you just gave me anything, I'd be willing to buy it. I'm willing mm-hmm. to buy that this video would help them pinpoint the location, which is what they do with it. 
I don't know, but I don't know how, and I would just be speculating. It's something to do with the <laughs> fauna, something to do. I I don't know. I I meant flora. I I always mix those up. Not fauna. <laughs> Um, I mean, they do. They do sort of at one point say something about the ambient noise, but even that, it's like doesn't seem like so enough. We know that everybody's essentially in the northeast because of where there was like nuclear activity. So, so before when I said, uh, "Oh, it's good that June says maybe they'll have a manger," because that's what I was thinking. Yes, and I'm I'm glad to know that for a moment at least, the show and I. Are on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. Um, the opposite of that is from this, from the seeing the video for the first time to the end of the episode. Obviously, all I'm thinking, and I think all anyone would think, is who sent this? Mm-hmm. Where'd this come from? Mm-hmm. I don't think they even ask. I don't think no. it comes up once. No, I don't think anyone says. Who could have sent this? Where did this come from? <laughs> now, I think it's obvious. I would be shocked if it's from anyone but Nick. Yes, it must be from Nick, but they still don't. But still, it's like <laughs> you got to put in one line. Yeah. <laughs> so that I know you know what you're making me think. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's the way you did it, it seems unintentional. Mm-hmm. It seems like you <laughs> seems like you are doing stuff, and you don't know how I'm going to react to it. And when June goes, when June finds out she is at the store because she was getting really antsy at home, and she gets really weird, and she's like, "I'm going to go st- get s- to the store." Like Nicole needs apples, and I said to Kenny, "Does she also need a pack of cigarettes?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I, I really again, it was one of those things where I just thought, like, "Oh, is June going to run away?" Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's save the good thing for the last thing. Um, June also meets with Serena mm-hmm. in prison. Serena eventually goes back to the Wheelers and, you know, basically this is... <laughs> they sort of say outright everything that we've been saying. Like, they say it so explicitly where it's just like... Serena's like, it's like I'm a handmaid now. And June's like, lol. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought... They did, and this is where I mean they sort of backtrack a little bit, is Serena says to her, like, you know, you were there, like, we experienced the birth of my child together, and June says, we're not friends. Like, we will never be friends. Mm-hmm. Um, And it actually reminded me, do you know the um songwriter Mal Blum? I don't think so. They have this really great song called New Year's Eve, or maybe it's called Happy New Year. I can't ever remember the chorus, but it's it's this sort of funny song about like a couple of New Year's in a row where the speaker of the song is like in this relationship and it's like not really good. It's like they're sort of hooking up, but they're not hooking up. And um, in the last year um, of the song, they sing... So the bridge at the very end of the song is, it's a happy new year. Here I am again, riding in my car. And this time I can't pretend that we are friends. We're not friends. Friends don't do the things we did. And the ones you've done since then makes me think we've never been. And so like the, and then it ends with like, 
them singing like I don't like you anymore over and over again but like I thought this moment felt like this song where June's like we're not friends and in my head my brain just went friends don't do the things we did (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. I see the connection um and so she basically just rejects what um you know, Serena's sort of like thought here. Cause Serena's like, I need to get out. Like, I need you to sponsor me. I need somebody, a Canadian, I need somebody that has like status, um, like legal status to basically say that like I should be let out. And June's like, I, I like, I can't do this for you. Like, this is not why I did the things that I did. Then she starts giving Serena advice. Like, you're going to do whatever the wheelers say. You're going to pretend you're a handmaid. You're going to admit that you're a bad mother and you're going to spend every second plotting to get your kid out of there. And in this moment, she's also, I think, sort of solidifying um, in her mind that she needs to get Hannah. Like, she has been saying this the whole – it's been the sort of, like, crux of the whole – friggin series is like she needs to get hannah and now she's like okay i need to do whatever i need to do to get hannah because that's the advice that i'm giving to this woman yeah no there's a really uh uh hit you over the head with it obvious moment where june uh asked serena i mean sorry serena asked june what would you do yes and june has to say to serena i would go back mm-hmm. uh which uh yeah the the Hammer over the head is June could be talking about going back herself by taking Lawrence's uh, deal and and going to live in New Bethlehem. Now, two things you've made me think of, and thank goodness you you did, because I would have concluded this without remembering. Yeah. Um, one is uh, because she says, I have to go back. Uh, I would go back. Um not only, uh, not in that scene specifically, but in the scene that's really confrontational between June and Luke. Yes, which I, this was the part that I was going to say, I actually thought was like really good acting, really good writing. Like it actually made a lot of sense to me. It didn't feel like somebody just sort of going all over the place. It's pretty good. I agree. It's pretty well handled. Unfortunately, uh, I was distracted. Um, <laughs> no, by, Will. <laughs> well, here's the, here's the thing. Uh-huh. As good as it is, it reminds me of something I think of often because it amuses me. Uh huh. Have you watched Lost? Uh, I watched quite a bit of Lost when it came out, but I never finished it. Okay. Well, does this mean anything to you? We have to go back. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back. Oh. It's ringing a it's ringing a bell. Give me more context. I think it uh, look, I watched Lost once through. Yeah. I I don't stick up for the show. I think it's ultimately a failure. Yeah. Uh I think it's maybe like the way that season 4 ends or something like that. Uh-huh. Where the reveal is you thought you've been watching flashbacks like you're used to doing. Uh-huh. Actually, you've been watching flash forwards. Oh. From a time after they get off the island. Mm-hmm. And the way they reveal that is Kate reuniting with Jack. Mm-hmm. And you realize, oh, this couldn't be a flashback. So it was never a flashback all along. 
mm-hmm. like all season long or something. That's the way I remember it. Yeah. And and Jack is overwhelmingly distraught because he regrets ever leaving the island. Oh. And he's yelling at Kate, "We have to go back." <laughs> and it's a and it's a lot like in my mind at least. It's probably uh-huh. not that much like it. But because that <laughs> moment from Lost is so indelible in my mind, this scene in The Handmaid's Tale is just like that. That's so it funny. It is June say- saying, Luke, we have to go back. I have to go back. Kate, we have to go back. <laughs> um, the other thing you reminded me of is by bringing up your New Year's song, uh-huh. you reminded me I had something to say about the song in this uh episode oh what i totally this this episode i feel like was really quite dense in terms of both actual information we got and the plot and Mm -hmm. so i totally missed the song well so it's less of a needle drop and more of a the the diegetic music and it's Mm -hmm. um and it's june singing a song to baby nicole Mm-hmm. But first she says, I used to sing this to your sister, Hannah. That's right. And then she not only sings it, but she plays it on her phone, I think. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And so I was able to Shazam it because the song was actually in there. Right. Yeah. And uh, as I was doing this, Dana turned to me and said, I wonder when this song is from. And and mm-hmm. I said, what do you think I'm finding out right now? <laughs> so Shazam picked it up and uh, full credit to the show. I did not catch them in a mistake here. The song, mm-hmm. according to Shazam, was released in 2003. Okay, good. So it's totally viable mm-hmm. that June would have sung this song to Hannah. And... Uh, it's a song by an artist named Clem Snide. Are you, are you familiar all with Clem Snide? No, but what a name. Yeah, so I thought what what was really interesting to me about this is that I know Clem Snide uh as as an artist and in in particular for one reason. Uh-huh. Because he did the uh songs for a a movie called Rocket Science. Oh. Which I saw when I was probably like 17 or 18. Uh-huh. And it's a movie that's like kind of like Garden State in my mind. Kind of like. Oh, wow. One of those. Okay. Just like an entry point for indie, mo- contemporary indie movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's about some high school kids. Uh-huh. And it is basically like a. You know, I don't think anybody really saw it, but I think it is sort of um, a debut for uh, Anna Kendrick is one of the stars of the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. And also the debut for and the origin of me having a huge eternal crush on Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is not. So, so really is your garden state. Sort of, yeah, yeah, if, yeah, for you, yeah, I, I see the connection. Um, that was also obviously a crush of mine, but maybe not as significant though. Yeah, uh, as in your case, or or um, so. 
this is not one of those songs. This is not a song from Rocket Science, but mm-hmm. um, I've listened to Clem Snide songs before, and I thought, well, that's so obscure that yeah. this is really interesting <laughs> and <laughs> uh, funny that uh, it's an obscure thing that I happen to know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not much to say about it beyond that. <laughs> I um have a couple more notes I just want to say. Um, the other interesting thing that Lawrence says um is that he essentially thinks that by having this sort of progressive refugee returning refugee island, that they will then essentially be able to open up the country and open up the stringency of the restrictions a little bit like essentially like trickle down progressivism Mm -hmm. is what i coined it um and that's sort of what causes him to say gilead's gonna gilead because when he's explaining this to june june is like but hannah's still gonna be a child bride and that's when he's like well gilead's gonna gilead like you can't you can't have everything all at once yeah and he says but nicole won't be and yes give it time by nicole by the time nicole is of age things will be different the other thing I wanted to mention is that um, the – well, there's two other things I want to mention. The first is that um, I – Serena does go back to the wheelers. She is very submissive. She runs upstairs and gets to nurse her baby. Um, and we get to see a nip. And the reason I bring this up is because I think that might actually be that actress's real baby. Dana said the same thing. Because I looked this up and she did give birth in December of 2021. We know this because this came up in one of the Inside the Episode oh. featurettes. So we had that context. Okay. So I did not know that. And I was like, because when they actually showed her breastfeeding, like actually breastfeeding a baby, I'm like, that's not some, I mean, I guess there is movie magic, but it like Well, Dana said such- the same thing. And I thought, yeah, that's definitely possible. But I also said, well, maybe it's a fake breast. Yeah. And so that's, it is movie magic. It just didn't look like one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's possible. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing is that the very last scene that we see is Hannah planting, I believe, a rosemary plant mm. in a garden. Um, And it, the camera zooms way up. So we have a bird's eye view, like we're in a drone or something. And the garden is this very funny shape. It's like mm. two chain links at a right angle, and the chain links are open at the ends that aren't touching. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know how they like symbols in the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I think all that's left that I want to say is there's a scene we haven't talked about between just Lawrence and Nick in New Bethlehem mm-hmm. that at the time I saw it, I thought was so bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? I wonder what's going on in this scene. I don't understand what Nick is thinking. Yeah. Lauren says, ah, I could see you set up here with your wife and your baby. And Nick is like, could you now? Like as if he doesn't want it. Yeah. And I was like, huh? And then, okay. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I think I understand now. That what is it secretly going on is Nick knows he sent the video. And so oh. Nick knows as as long as the video has the result that I mean for it to have, 
June is going to be with Hannah and they're never going to have to live here. And so things are not going to go the way that Lawrence is, is saying he's, he's uh, imagining or suggesting. Yeah. So that begs the question, how is this going to go next? Because Mm -hmm. certainly um, as they were starting to cut to Hannah in the garden, I was starting to crack jokes. Here come the bombers. Mm -hmm. And then there's not much left to the episode, but in what little time they have, they they make it seem more and more intentional that that should be in my head. Yes. That there's a possibility that what the American government is actually going to do is not infiltrate and get Hannah or free any of the uh, wives, wives in training, but they're going to bomb <laughs> the school. <laughs> And I don't think that they're going to, but I think mm-hmm. that they wanted to put that in my head just to create uh, an artificial tension. Yeah, it's the same thing as me thinking, oh my God, is Serena going to shoot herself? Right, or is June going to run a- run away from home, Yeah, go out for cigarettes and never come back? Or, is, or as you said in previous episodes, is June going to drown the baby in the bath? Or- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that has too much water in it. Yeah. Um, when, so, um, so I, I watched the next time on The Handmaid's Tale, as I always oh, do. Oh, yes. It looks really bizarre. It looked like, it, and specifically what I think is bizarre is we get a glimpse of like June and Luke seem to be um, in a sort of war room kind of <laughs> set. They seem to have a, they seem to be let into some government building where they can join in on like, Oh, the the government uh, uh, people—they're—they're watching the operation, you know, go down as it happens or something. And it looks—we can't let them in the war room. They'll see the big board. Yeah, (laughs) I saw that for the first time recently. I get that. I get that reference. Yes. (laughs) Great. You can't fight in here. This is the war room. Is perhaps something that (laughs) will be said to June and Luke. Uh, it looks it looks uh, it looks very out of place, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, them suddenly being seeing, a, seeing it in context, intimately in, part of this in the episode, yeah, war operation. Um, were you about to say something else? Yeah, the other thing I wanted to say is, as June was running home to tell Luke and Moira that um, they got they found Hannah and they're going to get her out. Kenny looked at me and said, I'm sure that the show will be very happy from here on out. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, can't wait to see uh, what's next. I think uh, that's all from me for this time. Same for you. Do we have any idea how many episodes of this show are left? <laughs> I'm still assuming that it's 10, but I was okay. really hoping that when I watched the next time on, that yeah. it would say two episodes left, and yeah. <laughs> it didn't. So um, I'm uh, I'm dreading the possibility that it will be more than ten. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll see you next time then. Will. Uh, well, yeah. Speaking of dread, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxed at youngest of one, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is 
at SmugBuds on Twitter and Instagram.